Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to my way. How are you? I'm well. I'm melting, but I love to melt. So it's a great day. A hot yeah. day for the UK and a hot day for me. Hottest day in history for the UK? Yeah. It's like the country, the nation has become a literal garbage fire. It's like it's we're living in a metaphor. <laughs> Why are you in such a good mood? Because I love sun, even though I can't enjoy it because at the moment it's the summer, which means it's a busy, busy time for comedy. Um, Through my summertime sadness, I just think the world looks nicer when it's all rosy outside. And how's 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 your old mental health at the moment? Oh, I sent a like, hey, you up to my therapist, (laughs) my ex therapist. I texted my ex recently, but the joke was that my ex was my therapist who I no longer see um, Mm -hmm. because I just felt a bit bit overwhelmed. (laughs) I don't think it's how you pronounce it. Overwhelmed? Overwhelmed. The whelm was too much. I enjoy the over being more pronounced. Overwhelmed. Right. I I was nearly getting overwhelmed. I felt like I... Yeah, I I texted her sort of like, hey, like she'd always framed like she's like, if you ever want to come back and have like an emergency session, you can do so. And I think calling them emergency sessions kind of adds a sense of like crisis to it. I'm not sure that's the best thing to call them. I just maybe needed another session. A top up. Would you like a a crisis top up? An apocalypse (laughs) chat. (laughs) Um, So I think that I'm in a state where I feel like I have to be quite careful with my mental health because I know I'm putting myself under a lot of pressure but I'm not in crisis it's not urgent I just feel that I need to regularly get my ducks in a row and maintain things is, How about is, you? That, is that an in I, thank you no one ever asks no me that ever that's so nice um no I feel I feel uh extremely externally distressed but internally very at peace with myself uh I've just spent a year of kind of radically learning how to understand myself and kind of feeling like because of the podcast this pressure to walk the walk I bring all Mm. these people on who teach us so much about how to become authentic or how to feel good and how to feel strong and so I'm trying my best to really listen to them heed their advice uh learn as much as I can and it's genuinely making a bit of a difference um so I hope that's the case for other people listening to this podcast and that not only I am benefiting but I'm feeling 
I feel like ready for the fight, but I definitely feel anxious about the fight that's coming up. I think that's a perfect way to put it. I feel like during Hannah Cotter times, 2020, everyone got stopped in their trajectory. Maybe some people, I don't know, reap the profits had a, a wonderful time, but lots of six people, people had to, yeah. <laughs> six people did really well. And then now I think people are sort of feeling not optimism because there's nothing really to look forward to, mm-hmm. but like ready to start again, ready to start fighting again, to start thinking again, to start planning again. Whereas I yeah. think we were kind of stopped in our tracks and a bit like, I just have to sit here with everything. But now I think there's like moving towards whatever it is that's next. So, so, so tell me like how, what's, what's going on? Why are you texting your ex-therapist? No. Why am I texting my ex-therapist? Yeah. All right. Um, I think, (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just the sort of, I think there's something that I've been like fighting to do and it is to stop being wishy-washy and uncertain and taking a bit of everything and not making decisions. When I go to a hotel buffet, I love for the first bit of the hotel buffet to like take everything that I could possibly like, just a tiny bit of everything that I could possibly yeah. like. Like the people that just go and are like, I want walnuts and eggs are, you know, monsters because that's a terrible combination. But some people go and know exactly mm. what they want. They just want bacon. They just want waffles. I have to taste everything to make sure. And then on the second round, I can double down. What's wrong with and that? For me, I feel like... I feel like I want to assume my, not my final form because I'm still in my thirties. It's not going to happen until probably right on my death, but I'm like, this is it. And then I'll go. But I think I sort of want to make deeper, longer decisions about my life and how I want to be in the world. Whereas before I was flitting about just trying a bit of everything. I think I can still change my mind and be wrong. You just want to be more intentional. I want to be more intentional. And because global pandemic uh, was a year with a lot of trauma, uh, a lot of change for the world, but also, and more importantly for me, I'm kind of looking now at something that I can make completely mine and feeling a bit uh, wibbly about it. Also, I'm very busy, which is something that has come with success, which is amazing. But also, I don't, I don't know how to deal with that. I'm not that girl. So uh, yeah, sure. How has it been rising to prominence in the UK? Oh, rising to prominence. I feel like a submarine. It has been surreal. It's been surreal. There's a lot of fun perks to sort of people knowing who you are. Because as a comic, like going to clubs and just being assumed to be like the girlfriend of a comic or a punter or like having people just dismiss you as like a small black woman and then going to places and people feeling like, oh no, this is a person of some importance and status. So I'll give her the same amount of attention I would a white man or a successful man. Feels kind of good. It feels on a lot of occasions that I've just Alice in Wonderlanded it. I've just sort of like gone inside the telly. I'm like suddenly sitting here on Mock the Week or on Taskmaster. And I don't think it's, if this feels like a very poor me question, but no one really tells you how to deal with it. No one tells you how to deal with that shift in people's expectations of you, the amount which you have to be on and how you're kind of a lot of times the only person who really can advocate the most clearly for yourself. So it's been a, it's been a ride. It's been, it's been a ride. 
And would you say it's majority good? And you feel, obviously, I know that I imagine you similarly to me and a lot of people feel very grateful for the perks, but also in a generation that wants to be famous more than any generation I've ever seen before because of how easy it's been made on TikTok. Mm. I do think it's really important to be able to have those conversations with someone who's risen to prominence in this very exposing uh, time in the world. Like I want to kind of pick your brain about what that does, what being perceived so regularly does. And then also, especially as a black woman in the UK, which I I know they say is completely unracist. The Tories say that we do not have a racist bone in our colonial (laughs) body. (laughs) But it's, it's an interest it's an interesting time and I imagine it is an extremely interesting experience to be a black woman coming up in the United Kingdom a place where until very recently most black women just left and came to America from Britain they just got out we just had Jeannie Yashir like like uh, like on on the podcast and London Hughes and all these different people like Tandy Newton saying that she left the UK because she didn't want to always have to play a slave like she wanted to be able to have nuance in her career and be able to play all kinds of different people and for me it's exciting to see the rise of people like you or Lolly you know what Mm. I mean like to to um to see that people are starting to be able to finally be seen in our homeland yeah I think though I think what's great about people like London and Gina is that I think that I think the UK loses amazing people and the people that deserve to be beloved in the place of their birth or in their like chosen home, the place that like the British people deserve to be beloved in Britain, but they only sort of get that attention once they've been lauded or praised or recognized elsewhere. By then it's almost too late because they're fractured. They have ties other places, they have connections with other people. And they of course will always speak to Britain and be representatives for Britain. But we really have the power to push people up from the ground. And we don't, um, I am here. I am in the UK. It's not that I am not planning to leave ever, but I think what's been what's been interesting about me about being a black woman in the UK coming up is that I am poised for people not to want to receive me well. I've always sort of doubted it. Like when I started doing comedy, I was like, people aren't going to get what this is. People aren't going to find me funny. People aren't going to understand my experience. As a Black woman, I've never trusted that I will be instantly accepted. And I think that's made me more conservative, not Tory, but more conservative of my choices and what I've been prepared to do. And I thought a lot of things weren't for me, like acting. When I got self-tapes through, I would always be like, this is like a cleaner or a slave or a mammy character. And that's still the kind of parts that I get through. And then in terms of the reception to me, I think sometimes British people are very keen to have a Mo Farah or keen to have a comedian that fits into someone that's just uncomplicated. Well, of course, Mo Farah Farah is anything but uncomplicated, Mm -hmm. but it's clean to have something that at least for the time fits into the narrative that they feel comfortable with. But if you're a black person talking about race in a way that isn't just jokey and how funny are my extreme over-the-top exotic relatives then they start to feel challenged and that kind of tempers how they receive you yeah 
And yeah, when I, when I was, when I was on Frankie Boyle's show doing Frankie Boyle's New World Order, that's a show that I feel is really brave, talks about good things, gives people space to make points and also to make mistakes. And I got a really, really, I think, fascinating reaction off the back of something that I said on the show, which was a joke that was written into the show. It was the title of emotion uh, that had the words kill Whitey in it. I repeated it after it had been like put on the boards and Frankie had said it when I was making uh, a point about Baldwin and it was kind of an incongruous moment in a big chat about race. But what that was drawn out to mean for me and for the show and for the BBC was so unnecessarily explosive and cynical and used me as a black woman as just the focus of targeted hate about the left and snowflakes and wokery and basically everything that some people think is challenging it's also white stoking, Britishness. It's also stoking replacement theory. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's like the fact that people are convinced that minorities don't just want equality, that we want revenge yeah. and that we, we want to erase everyone now and and really like honestly like nobody has time for that and we're not interested we really just want to live a normal life we'd really just like to be at peace I can't think of anyone I know is a minority living in a predominantly white country I know that we have minorities hurting other minorities in other countries but here and in the year like in the UK all I've seen is most of us just wanting to be left the fuck alone yeah, like we're not trying to let me we, be. We see the same fear with trans people where they're just like they're trying to convert all the children. It's like they're really not. No, they're literally just trying to get jobs and get paid and be safe. Like no one revenge. Exactly. And so kill Whitey. So that wasn't even your original joke or it- no. So like in the show, it's a like a normally like a debate show. So there are two motions that Frankie proposes at the start, and one of them was oh, basically Black Lives Matter obscures the complexities of a world where we all need to club together and kill Whitey. So it was like a fancy way of saying white people are the problem, but it's written as one of Frankie's dark jokes. A hundred percent, which is very known for. But um, you are talking about the concept of whiteness, white supremacy. You're not talking Mm -hmm. about white people. And the media knew that. And I watched that whole media storm where they just like, just threw you to the wolves with the headlines. Yeah, that was a hell time. Not so much because of the hate that I got, like the death threats and the people sending me like pictures of gorillas or asking me if I wanted to murder their like white children. But because of all, <laughs> be like, my baby is Caucasian. Do you want to murder him? Um, it was, yeah, not fun. There was a lot of, direct vitriol. And I could see that my name or my social media details had been posted on other sites so that bots would contact me or people who were like, couldn't, or like weren't speaking English, hadn't seen the show, but were sending me messages in like Russian or other languages. And just like the sort of internet machine was generating a lot of bile my way. But I think when you get targeted like that, I just didn't have so much of how you access the world, access work, access friends is in that arena. And so it just became completely contaminated. Like I couldn't engage with it. I couldn't go on Instagram for pleasure 
because all that stuff would be there or mm. it would pop up or people would be writing stuff on my posts. I couldn't go on Twitter because I couldn't see stuff to do with my gigs because all that stuff was on there. And it was sort of a lot of like, hate is violent. Like it's violent. It was like intaking a lot of violence at an incredibly violent time already. Like we've been discussing Black Lives Matter because it had been a really big year for anti-Black racism and it's an everlasting issue. And there are so many traumatizing images and like almost memes of death or like surveillance um, and police that are on the internet all the time. So from a time when Black people were particularly vulnerable and it didn't just happen to me, it happened on Britain's Got Talent, it happened to other Black celebrities at the time, I was being made to intake even more violence if I dared to be visible or present on any platform at all. Mm. If that makes sense. It does make sense. And I'm really, really sorry that that happened. And I know exactly what that feels like. And I, uh, I always feel extremely protective over anyone who has to go through that because it's so dehumanizing and so intense. And there's really just, it's so modern still as a phenomenon that it really only has existed in the last maybe six years. I feel like around me too was when we really started to recognize the power of the pylon and like the genuine, like the, the positive power of piling on until we are heard by powerful institutions that otherwise used to ignore us. But because it's so modern, it's such a modern phenomena. And I say modern, but also it's very ancient as well. Like it's very evocative of like the witch trials and the Mm -hmm. stocks and like lamping vegetables at people's heads and cutting their heads off in front of the entire town. Like it's, it's, it's a new way of doing something that is just seems to be so in our nature. And I think because it's a new way and because technology works so fast, no one really has an answer as to what the fuck you should do or how it feels or how to peel yourself out of what is a very surreal experience because it's virtual. So you're not in this active danger, but your brain tells you when you're being sent for online that there is essentially a saber-toothed tiger right in front of you. Like we haven't updated to understand that this harm is psychological and that is definitely important and, and valid, but also I could just turn my phone off and not look at it and not see any of these things. There's no real uh, protocol for when Mm. the internet turns on you. And it doesn't just turn on women or people in the public eye or people of color, like in in the public eye. This can happen to anyone. How how did you feel during that? It it was extremely not good. Yes. But it was extremely good, but it was that I couldn't, even though it is limited to your screens, it affected so much of my other life. Like it affected my sleep. It affected my, like how I could work. It affected my access to stuff and access to people. And of course, when people saw me, if I went to do like a run through for like a panel show or something like that, people would be like, oh my God, I heard about this. I'd have to like confront it and tell the story and like code the violence into my body by telling people what happened. Did you feel unsafe as well being a stand-up comic? Because I mean, like stand-up comics, so many of them, their job is at night and they're going on stage and they're kind of not really protect. No, no stand-up is rocking up with security. Do you know what I mean? And it's late night and everyone's drunk and feeling a bit free and feeling a bit cheeky. Were you yeah. gigging at the, that point or had you stopped? I think that, I think at that particular point I was doing some gigs, but they were less, less so because of the virus. And were you afraid? But I think I... I was afraid for my, I became incredibly paranoid about revealing where I was going to be and about where I lived. 
which I still am, and I'm moving house and nobody can find me. Um, No, because my landlady is uh, a character and wants to kick us all out in a month's time. But aside from that, I felt worried about, yeah, sort of exposing, exposing myself to a sort of random act of I'm going to take this further. I think there are certain people who get into their heads that like people literally were sending me death threats. And I was like, some, one of these people could live in London. One of these people could be monitoring something to give me a scare or teach me a lesson Mm. and could be like not well themselves, could be confused, probably hasn't like just any excuse to like make an example of me. I think something that is notable and should be noted is that there isn't structure and practice in place to protect people that that happens to because no one at the BBC was expecting that to happen. They'd okayed the title of the motion. They, they were like, this is fine to put out on television. And even after the episode was recorded, no one noted it as something outlandish because it wasn't. It was part of a debate. It wasn't a particularly provocative thing to say. It incorporated the words of the motion. But when it happened to me, the BBC were like quite slow to take any sort of decisive action to protect me in a sort of external public way. Everyone of of course was like, there's lots of support and like you can have, there's like counseling available to you and resources available to you. But I think that broadcasters and institutions don't know how to, and are scared of standing by something that they know to be right, just because there are some people that have a strong difference of opinion. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Oh, my charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I feel like since that having happened to me has made me much more conscious of what people might try to pin to my name and I don't think I have what I think of as a sort of boom of fear of getting cancelled and struck away from public life or being visible or being able to do what I love I see it as sort of really wanting to be able to stand by what I say and what I do and what I put my name to whether it's serious or whether it's silly and I think so much so much comedy so many shows in the UK are still made for an amorphous middle of the road person that doesn't really exist and it's really they're really reluctant to 
yeah, let people speak truthfully about how they feel and acknowledge that that can also be funny. And has it changed the way that you are going to put yourself out there or has it made you feel more defiant? Because it's made me more defiant. Because now I I realise it doesn't make a fucking difference whether I'm polite or not. Because of the colour of my skin and because of my gender, people are going to read aggression into anything I do. I write messages with like love hearts and tweets and like so careful. And it's always Jamila Jamil slams, Jamila Jamil dunks, Jamila Jamil sets the anus on fire. Like it's always extremely, I mean, not really, but it's always like, it's just always these like hyperbolized uh, bonkers, very violent. There's a lot of violence in, like imbued into all of my actions. And as a dark-skinned black woman in the United Kingdom, yeah. I, I imagine like you already have quite a, like a, a mild manner when you deliver mm. your comedy. And I really hope that that what's happened doesn't subdue you. I think that it did temporarily. Right. I think it just made me less that I wouldn't say things that I believe, but I think it made me less reluctant to touch those topics. Like I don't want to tweet everything that comes into my head anymore. I don't want to tweet necessarily about politics all the time. I'm definitely more guarded with that, Mm -hmm. but I feel now defiant. I feel now that it's ready to talk. I feel like it made me look further into myself and think about who I was and what I needed and heal myself, but I'm ready to talk about that traumatic stuff again. I'm ready to talk about blackness again. I'm ready to advocate for people. And I think it was just sort of like a temporary setback when you get stunned in a fight to take stock and just be like, what, what happened? But yeah, you also, no, good for you, but also protect yourself for fuck's sake. Like you don't have to take on that whole fight on your own. Like there's still not enough people that have been elevated to that position. And so you don't have to speak for all black people in Britain as if they are a monolith. I also, I, I, I think, I think I just feel like I, I hope you can strike the balance of like, don't let them break you down, but also protect yourself <laughs> whenever you need, which is a fine line yes. to walk that I'm still figuring out myself. Um, another thing you've been outspoken about for a while is sexuality, which again, within, at least for my mates who are from within the black community in Britain, bisexuality and homosexuality, these are things that were so untouchable to our generation. Yeah. And I feel like it's really fucking brilliant that you've been open about yours. I just sort of don't really know any other way to be. Mm-hmm. I think I got called like my comedy early on, which it has been at points, got called political. And I was like, I'm literally just like a black girl talking about like Saved by the Bell and like my daddy issues. But I feel like so so many parts of my identity are inherently political for people and feel like they're a statement I only just realized like people have reflected back to me like, oh yeah, you talk about being queer or you're like a big queer voice or a big queer figure. Being queer can be fucking amazing. And when your life is amazing or great things happen to you, you want to shout about it. But Mm -hmm. as a queer person, I know that also comes with doing work and showing up and supporting people that are more marginalized than me. And there's just a whole, there's a whole amount of stuff that just comes with who I am. So I'm open about it because if I'm joyful, I want to, like, if I'm joyful, I want it to show. And if there's an issue in a community, in the community, in the queer community or in society as a whole, it's fucked up if we don't talk about it. It's fucked up if we don't talk about trans people. It's fucked up if people Mm -hmm. don't feel comfortable enough to say the gender of their partner or what their own gender is or be outspoken about those things. And I still 
monitor that if I'm getting in a taxi back from a gig and someone asks me about my boyfriend, which I don't have anymore, so small tear. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I thought that was me. He's lovely, but we're just not dating anymore. Um, if they ask about like wh- whether or not I have a boyfriend, and don't is there even anything ent- worse than someone <laughs> saying small tear when referring oh, to you as their ex? <laughs> oh my God, that Daddy just like just sent a shudder. Through oh. my body of like, oh, I hope no one says that about me. You'll feel it. He'll just suddenly like touch his cheek and be like, I feel like someone just really, <laughs> someone really just nagged me from afar. for me for, on a podcast. Yeah, go on. Sorry. So you're no longer with your boyfriend. No longer with my boyfriend. But if they sort of assume that you must have a husband or a boyfriend or like ask if you've got anyone in your life and that person is not a man, I don't necessarily feel like I have to disclose to every taxi no. driver that I'm queer. But... I think that by making less compromises and putting, pulling less veils over things in my life, like you've got visitors and throwing a veil over something that you're not ready to show them. Just being like, this is, this is what it looks like. This is what's happening right now. I know that you came out like to your mother on stage. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But when did you sort of come out to yourself and to your mates? Was it always inherent for you? I came out to myself, I think in my early 20s, like after I'd left uni, I was sort of had a very, I had very, always, I've always had, and I think straight women have this, queer women have this, chaotic romantic friendships with women, chaotic romantic friendships with women that felt very intense and a sort of appreciation of how incredible women could be but I think that those emotions because I didn't understand them would get transposed into jealousy or idolization I wouldn't allow those feelings to be romantic or sexual just because it it didn't make sense and because I am attracted to men and male-bodied people it just didn't make sense to me. So I didn't have a language with which to express it or an arena with which to express it. And even at university, I think people who are able to or feel empowered to come out at a relatively young age, the ones that I interacted with didn't fit, didn't look like me, didn't seem like me, felt like their parents must have been more liberal or understanding or just have a different context. I didn't have that I couldn't see that I had that support system or that language to talk about my queerness. And so it was after university. So yeah, after university, I started being like, oh, okay, maybe I like, maybe I fancy this girl in particular. Maybe I've got a crush on my best friend. I'm interested in women when I'm out. I've been looking at them. I'm thinking about things. And so in a very well-trodden bisexual journey, I think I was like, oh, I have to have experiences with a woman. That's what I want to do. I want to like, I want to try before I literally buy. Um, but I didn't, I don't, <laughs> cancel me, cancel me now. The podcast is over. Oh, she wants That's- to buy, she's trafficking. She wants to erase all white people. Very problematic. Er- erase them. Um, I want to erase that joke I just made. Try. No. I tried before I buy but now I buy it. I bought. Um, okay. I'm sold on my queerness. But I think I just wouldn't, the kinds of relationships that I was open to were still quite limited. And I didn't have some people, a comic editor here that has talked about being a straight bully in her head, being like, don't do that gay thing. Don't do that gay thing. Because they're worried about what it might mean to face up to that. I never had that, but I was still incredibly 
I was like, there are only this amount. There's only this. So maybe I want to, you know, go on a little holiday to buy town, but I don't necessarily look there and see like full, like fulfilling long-term relationships or even real people. I'm just sort of dealing with my stuff. Early twenties, definitely knew that I was queer in some way, but I was in a relationship with a man. And I don't know if you know this, but if you're in a relationship with a man, you're not allowed to be bi. Oh no, no. I've been told many, many times since I came out. (laughs) It's not, it's not okay. Yeah. You're just confused or you're lying or you're just trying to be, you're doing it I'm jumping on a bandwagon because it's easier as an actor to have uh, your strong identity out there. And uh, it's just easier as a South Asian to be yeah, out there yeah, as queer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like South Asian families and communities historically fucking love queer kids. They love so, it. Uh, yeah, no, I just did it for clout because um, it would make me uh, money, of course. It was a, ta- a tactical commercial career move. Yeah. I love to make my life harder. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm well aware. It's really, it's honestly so peculiar. So you, did you kind of gaslight yourself then? in your twenties, because you're like, you're, I'm with a man. So therefore I, I can't be. And this is just like me. Do you think you were one of those sort of like a Katy Perry song? Like I kissed a girl and I like it sort of uh, fair weather, uh, queer. I think I, I think I worry that might be the case. I just worried that I didn't know what I was, so I couldn't make any sort of strong decisions about it, which is fine to do. Like that is a kind of an erasure of the possibility that I could be by either. I didn't love my boyfriend and I really just wanted to be out there shagging women or I didn't really want to shag women. I just wanted excitement and I actually wanted to be with my boyfriend so I shouldn't waste these lesbians' time. So how did you realise then? How did you stop gaslighting yourself and come into your own? I actually, small tear, did it, I think, with the help of a really great partner. Not Mm -hmm. exclusively that, but one of the things that was really important is that is my ex-boyfriend was the first partner that I'd had that I felt comfortable talking to about my desires and my feelings about my queerness. And he was sort of able to help me facilitate that and grow in that. Also just being involved in the queer community, like being around other queer women in my industry specifically, just helped me enormously. Just being able to exist in that world and people who are total dickheads won't be like, oh, you've got a male partner, you can't be bi. Mm -hmm. I think people, like, I think for me, activism helps. Activism helped me exist, contribute, learn. And I think that queer people in various places need so much support. I think that by decentering myself, but recognizing that I was connected to all of it was really helpful for me to feel legitimate in the ansexual babe that I am. How did your mum take it? I always get so curious whenever it's an ethnic minority. I had to come come out out. to my mum twice. I came out to my mum twice because when I came out to her in the show with the help of my partner who was stopping her from leaving the room to get extra cocktails because he knew when in the show it was going to be, she didn't understand it, which makes it sound like it wasn't clear in the show. It was clear. I say that I'm bisexual. I use the term pansexual. I talk about watching lesbian porn. I talk about having lesbian sex. My mum did not understand this at the time. She came to me after the show and she was like, oh, hey, pansexual, eh? And I was like, yes. And then we didn't talk about it because that's very normal for my family. (laughs) So we didn't talk about it, but I was like, you said the word pansexual. I'm taking you being normal with me to mean 
that you accept me and everything's fine, but we just don't need to talk about it. And for now, that's a good enough step. I took her out for her birthday last year and she was like, yeah, it's weird how you never felt comfortable enough to come out to me as queer. And I was like, no, I, I did. I did, mum. I did it in a show. And then after the show, you acknowledged it. And she was like, oh, I didn't know what that meant. Uh, <laughs> and she also said, and I was like, but I thought, and she was like, I thought that just like queer people just, I thought it was just a bit you were doing. I thought you were, I think she literally thought I was being gay for pay. And I was like, but if I told loads of stories about how I traveled to Australia or lived in Australia, would you not question me after the gig being like, why are all those stories in your set if they're not true? I think she also has her little denial river that she's been floating down, but she yeah. has since been amazing. Oh, but that's it's definitely, so nice to hear because yeah. that's like, that's harder for our generation of parents. They're like, you know, we don't have a lot of family members who are out, even if we can tell they're definitely something's going on. Oh like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and so it's like, it's extreme. Like, I have a lot of patience and tolerance for the older generation now that I'm becoming the older generation. <laughs> like, I think as, as I get older, like, you know, May Martin uh, recently was talking about when um, Bette Midler said some pretty transphobic things, uh, disappointing things publicly. May Martin talked about the fact that it is really disappointing that Bette Midler said those things, but also like we have to like try to contextualize the older generation and recognize that they are afraid and they're being fear-mongered. And rather than just disregarding them, understanding they're a product of decades of conditioning and that it is only beneficial really to all of us to call them in and educate them and have faith in the fact that they probably became progressive about something they were aggressive about during their youth and you never stop learning. You never stop having the capacity to learn. So let's not give up on the fucking elders who have loads of voting power. <laughs> um, let's, <laughs> let's, call, let's call them in. I'm trying to have more tolerance as I get older uh, with all of these things. With And look, no one should ever take anyone's rights away, race-wise, age-wise, gender-wise, any, any of these things. But I do feel much more passionate than ever before as I'm getting older to want to congratulate them for the things that they are embracing and have faith in them that they can change the things that they currently believe that are products of um, patriarchy and bigotry. Yeah. I think it's very easy, especially when you're young and angry to write off old people. It's trying to ruin everything. Like they just try to ruin everything. Totally. Like Brexit, they don't understand, but they are stereotypes. So wise and but, often really fucking cool. And May, what they said is, May said that at some point they might be a bit less progressive. They might be out of touch when mm. they're old. And I feel the same way. Like I feel afraid. I think I currently do still say sometimes things that are a bit out of touch with the next generation's beliefs. And so I know that's not coming from a bad place. And I think that in it in and of itself makes me want to like unpick my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation. And I really don't like this new culture of just writing each other off for different political ideologies and not taking context or nuance into account ever. I don't think it's literally not getting us anywhere. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. 
Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. You're dating. Ooh. I am. That's nice. Oh, you I smiled. Am. You did a cute little smile. I did a cute little smile. Um, and how are you feeling about dating now and post-pandemic and recovering your mental health and going through all this shit and finding your own voice and entering this new kind of stronger period of being ready for the world? How's dating? Dating is... So I started, I was dating, not during the pandemic, but it was all terrible, but I had a period of dating before I uh, solidified things with the partner that I am with now. And I think people out on the streets, it's wild. People are moving mad. I don't know if that's an acceptable term on this podcast, but people are behaving in extraordinary ways. What do you mean? I've been Just, out of the game for seven and a half years. I have no idea what's going on. What's it like out there? It's just, it sort of seems illogical to me. And I think this is not because I've got a massive ego or maybe it is. I don't understand why people don't, the way, the extent to which people can act against their interests or do the opposite of what they say they're going to do. So I've spoken to like girls who've been like really, really keen. This sounds like such a, like an incel getting on the mic. Really, really keen. Um, like say they really, really want to like meet up or something um, or we go and we have a lovely time. And then I'm like, okay, let me know when you're free. And then they disappear for ages, like say two months. And then they come back and are like, Hey, I really, really sorry that my communication was so terrible. I'd really, really love to start again. And I'm like, okay, I'm free like this day and this day. And then they completely disappear. <laughs> I was like, but you came that like just so much like disjointed communication is that so just much... our uh, is that just our sort of dismissive um love of options you know like we just no. need to have a million options like we need to have uh, every different type of uh, thing available to us on menus we need to be able to swipe through countless possible partners like we have 2000 television channels we've got so many different streamers and so many different shows like there's just yeah a million options for fucking everything there's so many places no, to eat so many places to buy like a jumpsuit like we do you think I don't know why my brain went I mean jumpsuit, some of but- it might have been like someone being like I could go and eat Sophie's pussy or I could watch hacks I'll choose hacks but I feel like <laughs> I've just started watching hacks I fucking love it um and I probably would choose that over a day but I think that it's also a lot of people don't seem to know what they want but are charging out into dating seem completely confused. There's sort of new options when people could go to stuff like sex parties again or get on the apps again and actually meet people. There were like, there's a whole sense of people who are doing things for the first time, like going to the first, their first sex party or dating women for the first okay, time. Okay, talk me through a sex leaving- party. Talk me through a sex party immediately. I have no, I have no idea what you even mean. I, I've heard of it, but I don't really understand. I mean, the clue's in the name, but it can really rage. <laughs> <laughs> it can really rage. I think sex and party... Two key elements. Right. But I need to know someone for several months and then fall madly in love with them. And I need to know they're madly in love with me before I would even kiss them. Like it's egomaniacal beyond all belief. Like you have to be ready to lay down your fucking life for me 
before I will even <sighs> make eye contact with you because I uh, I find dating very stressful and I don't understand romantic cues whatsoever. Uh, do you think you're so, demisexual? Do you, are you have you encountered that? No, no. I think I'm uh, sort of regular jam jam. Jammy sexual, uh, just yeah. like, I'm just like <laughs> I am. Um, what I think it is is that I just don't know how to read romantic cues, and so unless you are, uh, unless we're naked together in the bed, I wouldn't know that you like me or not. Um, oh yeah. So it has to be made explicitly. Like you, you pretty much have to turn up on a horse with a sword or something for me to yeah, yeah. understand. Uh, other castle, than with nudity, the dragon, yeah. Like it's honestly like it's actually quite stressful for anyone because they kind of have to like. I don't make it clear with, I also don't give uh, social cues or like romantic mm. cues whatsoever. So you, you almost have to like cross a consent boundary with me to be able to find out if I like you back. Like I put people in impossible <laughs> situations. Um, and so that party would have to be three months long. Like it would have to be more of a sort of retreat. <laughs> it's just to be sort of like a, yeah, a getaway. A I'm just so, I'm so shy. This is why I've only kissed six people. But I have kissed uh, t- two or three people on camera now. Does that count or not really? It counts. Not Can it in, count? Not as, a, like, not as a relationship. I don't want you to go be no. like, no. Oh, <laughs> All right, <laughs> yeah, calm down. But no, I just mean, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to work my way up to double digits because I'm 36 and I've only kissed six people who've actually wanted to kiss me rather than it's been written into a script. Oh, oh that's lovely. I think it's lovely. It's a, it's a fun list to be on. I'll take... I'll Very take, exclusive list. Yeah, for all of the wrong reasons, all right, Sophie? No one's invited me to a fucking sex party. What happens at a sex party? I think if you're invited to a sex party, you should really do your due diligence and check that it's happening and it's not just some creepy person that's got your address. No, 100%. Um, so one of my housemates, very into kink. Yeah. I had actually, wait, let me let me think about, let me think back to my first first sex party. Where How party many sex rings. parties have you been to? I've been to lots of sex positive I say lots. I'm going to immediately erase that because I don't want that to be out there. And I don't think it's true. I've been to sex positive raves. And I have been to kink parties. Okay. And I think I, I don't think I've ever been to, though I would love to be at this because I think it would be absolutely bizarre and fantastic. I've not been to a sort of swinging dinner party where there's three courses and then everyone migrates to like the drawing room and starts and there's a select guest list and people well, and start. they had the bowl of the keys right and yeah, the whoever's bowl of keys, the keys you pick up you go home with them in their car but that sounds absolutely terrifying petrifying petrifying and there was basically an equivalent of that when i lost my virginity i really hope my mum isn't listening she can know that i'm queer but not that oh, I've she's ever a big fan of mine so she might oh hi mum i know you're a big fan um yeah the first time i ever the first time I had a, I was going to say a penetrative friend. The first time I had an experience of someone that I was romantically, sexually intimate with, I went to a lock and key party, which basically is the same thing, but it's like 18 year olds go. And like all the girls had a, I don't think this would happen with Gen Z. All the girls had a key and the boys had a lock and all night people would try their key in your lock. And if you, the, the key and lock opened, then I guess they got to kiss you. That at a swingers party where you put keys in a bowl both sound like horrific Huntsman, Snow White and the Huntsman type scenarios. What? That's like Game of Thrones. Oh my God. Okay, go on. So It's so horrible. Like to... someone wins you in a game of chance. But 
um, through various people that I've got close to, been friends with, I've sort of been on the fringes of like kink scenes um, and very sex positive spaces where people essentially have playrooms and play parties as part of a wider club night. Or and maybe quite, it might like, be the focus of the whole party. And they're quite big on consent, aren't they? Right. So I've heard like my friend goes to these sort of sex weekends and they'll be like sort of uh, like a, a room that you go into and there's also not quite a class, but it's like you have to ask someone, do I have permission to touch your arm? Do I have permission to play with your hair? Do I have permission to touch your like, nipple or something, whatever? And then you can like choose whether or not to escalate it together. But it's all kind of like these consent boundary, sex positive places that make everyone feel quite empowered and... um teach people to uh, do their, I don't know, like teach people to find what they want and how to learn how to enjoy what others want? That's definitely been my experience. I think there's always places like club nights, comedy nights, amusement parks that are badly run. But the places that I've experienced are really intentional because they know the dangers of putting people in a space for hedonism or experimentation. And a lot of the people who I know who are into kink, which sadly... I'm still sort of working out how into it I am. And I worry that I might be more vanilla than my brand would want me to be. (laughs) But people who are embedded in kink communities are so good about getting consent, navigating boundaries, their own and other people's. They have incredibly strong bonds with each other. They're very caring and very social. And lots of people go to kink parties where spanking and whipping and all sorts of incredible scenes go on to just have a chat and connect with people that they love. So there's not always sex at a sex party, but it is a space which feels like you really can escape what people find quite limiting sexual dynamics. And I don't enjoy going into normal straight clubs on a Friday night where the template is that you have to look a certain way and men will approach you in a certain way. I enjoy going to spaces where there are queer people, sex positive people, because I feel like the interaction doesn't have to follow a script that for me in the past has been quite problematic. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I haven't had the same experience just because I set uh, sort of um, Henry VIII level uh, era sort of boundaries around myself, um, which yeah. I also do not subscribe. Uh, I do not uh, think anyone else should subscribe to because it's been, um, it was very lonely teens uh, being so awkward. Uh, and uh, several years during my 20s as well. I uh, I feel much better about what you're doing. I think that sounds nice and safe and fun. Thank um, you. And I just feel, I feel very happy to hear you sound so settled and sound happy. And I, I watched all that shit you went through and it makes me feel good to see you out there continuing on persisting and, uh, finding your voice again, which you had, you know, like, I think maybe felt a bit afraid of using. I think it's really important so that they don't make an example out of you you know, and shut you up and allow you to just be a victim of clickbait culture and the intense racism of the UK media, (laughs) however much they deny it. Um, And so I really appreciate, uh, I appreciate you for chatting to me about that and about all these things. And before you go, I just want to ask you, what do you weigh? I weigh, oh, so exciting to get to answer this. I weigh my T-Rex nipple pasties. I love them. I love them. (laughs) They are the head of the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Once quite a big deal. Now you don't really see them anymore. Big green sticky nipple stickers that I bought off the internet and make me feel really happy because I get to use my breasts in 
quite frankly, a ludicrous way. I also have nipple pasties. One is a fried egg and the other is like an X, but made with streaky bacon. Just having those, being able to be the kind of person that has those makes me really, really happy. I weigh a sampler that my partner cross-stitched for me uh, during the pandemic when we were not together that says send nudes on it, which feels like a lovely retro love token. I weigh twerk classes with my friends in Accra in Ghana. I weigh being able to speak several different languages, English, French, Chui, and I'm learning to speak as many love languages as I would like to. <laughs> getting skilled in, getting, getting more skilled in physical touch, getting better at gift giving. I love okay, all of fine. that. That's, you, you weigh wonderful things. Do you feel like you're uh, the person that your younger self would have wanted you to be now? My younger self would have wanted me to be a much more repressed, officially important <laughs> person than I am now. All right, well, what I the fuck does she know then? What the fuck does she know? No, I think she would have loved it because I don't think she had the option of someone like me. That's so great. And I think what she thought of as success, she would be able to see on meeting me, her weird future auntie self would be able to see makes her so much happy and fulfills us in so many more deeper ways than she was given the sort of like templates for. So yeah. Here's to the next generation so that they understand that's not what you have to strive for. Um, Thank you so much, Sophie. You're a joy. I wish you all the luck in the world. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Aaron Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code iWay. Lastly, over at iWay, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iWayPodcast at gmail.com. And now... We would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. I weigh being passionate and loving on so many things. I weigh trying to help whenever I can and knowing this world is a better place with me in it. I weigh being grateful. I weigh my awareness of my own mortality. I weigh being strong and brave and knowing I can survive so much more than I sometimes think I can. I weigh my intelligence and wisdom and all of my experience, which is unique and needed in the world. I weigh being the beholder. Ugh, that's so lovely. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week, you know, as you're bottling things up, because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel, you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to. And this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week. You just have this complete freedom. Honestly, I think everyone should have therapy, regardless of whether they think they need it, because it's so amazing to have a confidant. It's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. 